Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. So glad you're here to participate in our Linden Road online worship experience. Grateful you found us. And if this is your first time, we want to extend a special welcome to you. And we invite you to click on the digital connection card up above or leave a comment in the chat. Or if you'd scroll down, if you're watching this on YouTube in the description, you can uh, click on the connection card there. And we'd love to know your name and email address. And if there's a prayer request you might have or if there's a question we could answer, uh, we certainly are grateful and we certainly hope it's not your last time. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you also and would invite you to use the same connection card. Let us know anything you, we may need to know here in the building. But we are grateful that we can be the church online. And I know for some of us, we're traveling. For some of us, we're in a season of uh, recovery from uh, crazy cold or something. But we are grateful that we can use this technology to connect us. It is the first Sunday of Lent. And so as we begin that season, we celebrated uh, Ash Wednesday here in the building Wednesday evening with an imposition of ashes and just a time of uh, simple quiet reflection on just what this season can be this Lenten journey and so I pray uh, there's a link here to a 40-day journey you can join in uh, even though it's a couple days in already please uh, I hope you'll take advantage of it and be encouraged as we journey towards the cross and then most importantly journey towards a Resurrection Sunday as we celebrate Easter. But together we're grateful for so many good things and wanted to share this week we celebrated the fourth birthday of our friends at uh, Heartfelt Radio. Mark and Gabe had a full morning and I was able to participate by leading the Wednesday morning Bible study because as they said uh, just because it was a, uh, a celebration day didn't mean they were going to give up Bible study and so we took a look at the great hymn Come Thou Fount which talks about raising our Ebenezer which I just really thought was about marking just the good things that they've done in this current year and in the, in the four years up to the anniversary. And now they're in year five, leaning into all sorts of other good things. And so there's a link here in the worship notes. If you missed it, I'd encourage you. It was a lot of fun to celebrate, but also to look at God's word and be reminded of how much he's done for us. And as we do think about the things he's done for us, that's the whole point of the Lenten journey. week two of our series called Unveiling Purpose, where we're walking alongside a movie that gets released next week called Ordinary Angels. It's from the same people that brought us Jesus Revolution, and it's based on a true story about a gentleman who loses his wife to cancer, and then the journey as he finds out that his youngest daughter has uh, needs a liver transplant, and just all the things surrounded that, and so the powerful story that is here for us to learn from is this another way where we see God show up I'm grateful for technology that can can allow us to enjoy a great story but also how we can take a, a deeper dive looking at scripture alongside this story to see what God might have for us last week we looked at this idea that there is purpose in our pain and this week we're going to talk about how that there is purpose when we aren't quite sure, when we doubt. Now, as I say, this week we're going to talk about and we're going to look at a story in Scripture about John the Baptist, about when we see in his story and in his life some encouraging moments, if you will, even though his earthly life ended not exactly with the best storyline, but it was part of his faithfulness that his life impacts our life today by his faithfulness. 
But I wonder if you can remember in your own story a time when there was something that came alongside a circumstance or maybe an encounter or just a difficulty in which the evil one shows up in a way to just take your your joy, to create some difficulty in your story and maybe even question in your mind the spiritual truths that had been so clear before that were black and white even, but now are sort of gray. And so we see today the story of John the Baptist is very similar in that kind of understanding that he had a close relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, he was part of Jesus's family. Uh, if you remember, he's actually Jesus's cousin. Now he was born about six months before Jesus, but we know that he prepared the way for the Lord. We know that he was foretold by the Old Testament prophets that he was going to come and prepare the way for the Messiah, for the arrival of the Messiah. And so that's a big responsibility. Now we know he was called John the Baptist because he preached about a baptism of repentance. But he also at the same time spoke of the one, the Messiah, who was going to come, whom he says he was not even worthy to untie his sandals. And so in John chapter 1, verse 29, it says, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist is saying those words as he sees Jesus beginning his earthly ministry. So it's pretty clear that John the Baptist was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah and that he was to be the Savior of the world. And what a beautiful moment it was when Jesus himself came and stood before John and John baptized him. And if you remember, there was a moment, as the scriptures tell us, a dove descended from heaven, and John the Baptist heard an audible voice that said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. So again, John the Baptist had to be pretty clear about who Jesus was, his whole identity. And then we see, as the stories are told in, in the gospel accounts, that people begin flocking to Jesus and and in, instead of being uh, sort of ticked off by the fact that he's now being relegated to a different place in the story when everyone was coming to him first, that is John the Baptist, John in the gospel says in verses uh, 31, 35, and 36 of chapter 3 says, The one who comes from above is above all. The Father loves the Son and, he, and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. So we see that John the Baptist plays a, a central role here in this story. We see here that John the Baptist seems to certainly understand clearly the role he's playing and who Jesus is as God's Son, as our Savior. But then we know things change. And just as in our own lives, and I think that's why this is so helpful, sometimes something comes into our lives that begins to replace the certainty that we have. And then even the evil one can throw darts of doubt and even difficulty to be able to see who God is and see how he's working. And that's what happened in the case of John the Baptist because he had been preaching to crowds and all sorts of people. And then he had humbly turned them to Jesus Christ. And John's preaching style was different and probably much more controversial at least at this point in Jesus's ministry. In fact, today we might say that he was being politically incorrect because as we look at who was in leadership at the time, King Herod, we know that Herod had taken his own brother's wife to be his uh, wife. And then he had actually gotten rid of his own wife. 
But John the Baptist didn't walk away from that. He saw what was going on and actually called out to King Herod to repent of that sin. And as a result of that kind of embarrassment to the king, because you're not really supposed to say those kinds of things, John ends up being thrown in prison by Herod. And then all of a sudden things are changing. And we know when circumstances change, when things start heading south, when uh, you can imagine you're listening to crowds of people and then all of a sudden you're reduced to the, simply being a criminal who is chained into the wall, it's going to have an effect on you. And I'm not just talking about John the Baptist's story. I'm also talking about the impact that can happen in our own lives. We may not get thrown into prison, but there are things that come at us that steal our life that God wants to give us. Now, what we do know is that John had been in prison for a couple months. And while being there, his uh, influence, his you know, notoriety, if you will, uh, began to wane and decreased. And I'm going to guess even his own understanding of himself, probably his self-esteem was in question. And so it must have been pretty difficult for him, who had been accustomed to leading others, uh, to all of a sudden find himself cooped up in a prison cell, knowing that his life was in jeopardy. And then even those that knew him, uh, didn't show up to do anything about it. They just left him there. And it even seems as though Jesus was doing nothing to intercede for him. I'm guessing that, that John the Baptist, as well as the disciples, were frustrated by the fact that as Jesus came on the scene, they were expecting a political movement and kept wondering, when is the freedom going to come? Jesus talked about it, uh, but then where is it at? It doesn't seem like it's happening. And then it tells us in the scriptures that John began to doubt who Jesus was. A big idea we want to look at today is that circumstances and timing in our life can cause us to doubt. While John the Baptist was in prison, I'm sure he began to think back through those many prophecies he knew about the coming of the Messiah, those that he had probably memorized out of the book of Isaiah. And maybe it's a verse like this one, Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. It says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped, then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. These are things that the Messiah was going to do. And we also know the promise that the Messiah was going to open the eyes of the blind and to free the captives from prison and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And I'm guessing that John the Baptist was sitting in a dungeon like that in darkness and wondering, man, if he came to set the captives free, why am I sitting here still. As we connect this to our own story, what is it for you? Maybe it's the doubt that adversity brings, or maybe it's the loss of a job, or maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's the tension that's in your family or with friends. And it's also the time in which we're living, right? All sorts of chaos that can lead to confusion of our spiritual understanding of the way the world should turn. Even this question that many, I think, wrestle through is, is there a loving God who cares about me? And if so, then why did this, and you can fill in the blank, happen? For John the Baptist in our story, I'm sure he hears more stories about his cousin Jesus. And the longer he sits there in prison, I'm sure he begins to question who Jesus is. And then Satan has a field day with him. I'm sure he's filling his mind with all sorts of faulty logic saying, well, John, if Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, why doesn't he free you? Why doesn't he come and establish his kingdom and overthrow Herod and make it all good? 
And I guess from a worldly mindset, those are great questions, but we have to be reminded that God's economy is not our economy. And I'm sure those things were playing on John's mind. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, John attempts to get answers the only way he knows how. He asks some of his followers who have visited him in prison to personally relay a question to Jesus. And so we pick up the story here. Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 20. John's disciples told him about all these things. Calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? In other words, read between the lines, Are you really the Messiah? And then the, the next verse, verse 21, At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, there's a lot going on in this text, and John is looking for something that apparently Jesus is not willing to give. John, because of his doubt, because of his circumstances, he, like many of us, right, he just wants something, something he can hang on to. He wants an answer to the question, particularly, are you the Messiah? And yet Jesus meets the need, but it's not how John might have ex expected him to or wanted him to. I want us to look at three things here today that Jesus is going to do. First, he's going to encourage John, and he's going to do that by offering transformation, but not information. So John the Baptist asks if he is the Messiah. And that is a fair question, considering the fact that John had already announced many times that Jesus was the Messiah. John just wants to double check, partly because of what he's experiencing. Because right now he's sitting in prison. He is separated from Jesus and his teaching and his followers. And so he just wants to make sure. He wants to cross every T and dot every I, even check off the box. And so he wants to know the truth beyond a shadow of a doubt. And again, as we think our own story, many of us can be in that moment with him, right? The way God's wired us, we just want to know. Unfortunately, our intellect is limited, and it's very difficult for most of us to get our arms around a limitless God. So when this question comes, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't give him information. Instead, what Jesus gives is a teaching, even an object lesson, in that moment of what's going on, people being healed and transformed, which then can lead John to the correct answer. The second part of this is that Jesus then encourages faith more than answers. Because what we have here is Jesus is definitely implying in his answer to John's question, but he doesn't exactly say it, say the answer. He doesn't explicitly tell him yes or no or what's going on. He even leaves a little room for doubt and uncertainty. And what's crazy about that, and we have to ask the question, is why would Jesus do that? Well, I think it's because he realizes that John's doubts can actually lead to a deeper faith. There is purpose in the doubt. Like we talked about last week, being purpose in our pain. Now we're going to see there's purpose in our doubt. It's interesting in the book of James, he writes in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, wherever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. See, it's not about having an answer to every question. 
what it is, is it's about having faith when there is no easy answer. And so we want to see clearly that John didn't pretend to believe something that he didn't believe. Oftentimes what we do is we keep our concerns to ourselves and then that's where the evil one comes along and just makes a mess of it all, right? We suppress our doubts, but inwardly Satan is having a, a heyday with us. So when it comes to our beliefs, I think we would understand that God would rather have us to be honest with him about the fact that we have doubts and not to profess a faith that isn't real. He knows what's going on inside of us. That's really a simple understanding for us. Now, some tend to want to have a belief in a Christianity that's not real because they don't want to rock the boat. And yet, when their faith is challenged by a professor in college or something that happens in some kind of unjust suffering or even a disappointment in someone who is a mentor in our faith, we can end up pushing our doubts down. But at the same time, it makes our faith formation very shaky. So back to our movie that we're looking at here, Ordinary Angels. There's a point in the movie where Ed, our main character, seems like he's overwhelmed with his younger daughter's fading health. And at the same time, his inability to be able to cover all the medical bills and all the challenges that come with that. And so I want to show you a scene when Ed and his older daughter, Ashley, are visiting his wife's gravesite. And it's clear his faith is barely hanging on by a thread, but his daughter, Ashley, is going to do some prodding spiritually, if you will. So check this out. God, Dad. Is that why we don't pray anymore? It's okay. Everybody gets mad sometimes. You should still talk to him, though. You first. Hi, God. It's Ashley and Dad. A couple of announcements before we start. Remember to, uh, if you purchased the poinsettia, please uh, take it with you at the close of the service. We're going to start with one of my favorites, Angels We Have Heard on High, which you can find on the insert in your program. Good to have you back, Ed. All right. Sing with me, won't you? Angels, we have heard on high, Right, so that's our story, right? There's sometimes we are just like Ed, that we're in a difficult season, but we show up anyhow at church or watching here online because we want to embrace, I think, what Norman Geisler, a great apologist, says. God doesn't ask us to take a blind leap of faith into the darkness but a step of faith into the light. So it's all about us leaning into these moments when we are uncertain, when we're not quite sure what God's doing. And part of our encouragement, even in doing this current season, in this season of Lent, is that we need to be digging into who God is by looking at the story that he's writing through so many people, 
whether it's on the movie screen, even the idea of what's taking place in The Chosen. In fact, just a little teaser in season four, in the first episodes, one, two, and three, we, we see the life of John the Baptist played out. That's as much as I'll say. But it's worth watching just because of that, because it gives some reality to this story we know so well. And for us who don't have Jesus in the flesh, like John the Baptist did, the Lord has given us each other. He's given us his written word, the scriptures, as a way to understand what needs to happen. And so there's no better place to look and get a clearer picture of Jesus than the pages of the Bible. And it's interesting in the Gospel of John near the end, he says this to us, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's verse 31 of chapter 20. You see, it's all about understanding. That's why the Gospel writers wrote down what they wrote down, so that we ourselves, even 2,000 years later, would believe. In fact, what John's begging is he wants us to read it. And then even later, Paul, the apostle, encourages us to lean into uh, understanding the scripture. In fact, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard to the word about Christ. So our prayer for each of us each day needs to be, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And that brings us to the third offer that Jesus lays out to us, that he offers us an eternal perspective over a temporary remedy. The idea that not only does our pain matter, but even our doubt matters because it will lead us to a deeper relationship with him. Now, let me just try to unpack this a little bit. We all want the easy answers. We all want the short version of what's going on. And yet sometimes it's complicated. I know that the world we live in is very much like that. That's why we have a 24-hour, seven days a week news cycle, because you gotta know what you gotta know what you gotta know. But when one of your closest friends is sitting in prison, and is questioning your identity, there's no short statement that can really unpack what's going on. And the one Jesus gives is the best he could have given because he knows that when you're doubting, you need so much more than simply a soundbite. Let's look back at this text now. John the Baptist followers say to Jesus, John wants to know, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? So Jesus is asked a question and you would think he would give a straight answer to that, but he doesn't. In fact, the next verse tells us, verse 21, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. Now here's where we lay out the the gospels. Matthew and Luke write about this very account. But it's interesting in Matthew's account, the discussion is much more streamlined and much more summarized. But in Luke's account, there's a much more detailed version. So when Jesus is asked the question, are you the Messiah? Instead of simply giving him the sound bite, he gives John an object lesson. And it's kind of like this. It's like they ask the question and he looks at them with a look like, hold that thought. And he doesn't answer. He actually turns and he starts healing people. And that's his answer. And what do we have here? Well, people who are deaf can now hear. And people who are lame can now walk. And people who are blind can now see. And then he comes back to them. And in a way that's very loving and a sort of a matter of fact kind of way, he begins to quote some of the prophecies of the book of Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah. And he says, the lame are walking, the deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing. And he goes through all these different statements. 
that Isaiah has made about him as the Messiah, but he leaves one of them out. And as we've talked before, I think Jesus did this intentionally. The one he leaves out is what comes from the earlier part of Isaiah, chapter 42. When he quotes from the Old Testament, he omits the phrase, the captives or the prisoners are set free. Now, why doesn't he say that? Well, I think it's because he's trying to send John a very clear message. I am the Messiah. My deeds are proving it. But John, there's some difficult news that you need to hear. I'm not going to free you from prison. And we know this much, that Jesus does know the rest of the story. We know that John the Baptist is going to be beheaded and that he'll never be released from prison. And so in a very subtle way, if John is asking for a kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card, the Messiah and the miracle worker is tactfully and very intentionally saying that he's not going to be able to do that. Now, we know John wanted a temporary remedy to the difficulty he was facing, but that's not what Jesus had to offer. And it must have broken Jesus' heart to be at this point. Instead, the help that Jesus offered gave a much larger perspective, even if you will, an eternal perspective. It wasn't just a physical or temporary help. That God's ways we know are not our ways. We know too his thoughts are not our thoughts. And I know some of us may be thinking, wow, that's kind of crazy. That doesn't really sound like a loving savior. In fact, think about it. your cousin who spent his entire life making ready for you to show up, that you're gonna allow him to die a brutal death in prison. I don't think I'm willing to sign up on your team, Jesus. But you see, that's what we need to see here as followers of Jesus. Our response needs to be this. Our hope as followers of Jesus is in something that's far greater than anything, any past or present pain that we might be experiencing. If you will, it's that we need to have an eternal mindset. It means what Paul said is true. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So I want to say clearly, there's going to be seasons of doubt. And there is going to be seasons for sure that we're going to walk in the valley. But we need to be careful not to fall away when it's not what you thought, when it's harder than you can bear. We need to hold on to Jesus. So how will Jesus think of John the Baptist after hearing of his doubts? And I don't know about you, but if you've ever had a doubt in your mind, and then this is a really key understanding, something really important that we need to know. Jesus responded and how he responded because many of us are dogged by our doubts. There are questions that we can't simply answer. And so how is Jesus going to respond? Is he going to chastise John for his lack of faith? Is he going to publicly denounce John for even asking the question? No, what does he do? And he certainly doesn't send back false hope and say, hey, just hang on, we might be able to get this worked out for you. No, what does he say? In verse 28, he says, I tell you among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Wow, that's an amazing statement. No one greater than John. Not even Abraham? How about King David? How about Mary, the mother of Jesus? How about Simon Peter even? No, there's no one greater than John. Because you see, here's what's clear is that Jesus knew that after he shared this message that John was going to move from any doubt towards some certainty. And Jesus knows that the words from this Old Testament prophecy could change John's doubt and 
would light a fire in him that would help give him comfort and courage to face what was coming. I want to say clearly here about doubters. There's two types. There's those that are dishonest and those that are honest. Dishonest doubters don't want to believe. I've heard someone say, an atheist can't find God for the same reason that a criminal can't find a police officer. They're not looking for him. And most atheists and agnostics aren't searching for God. In fact, God says in, through the prophet Jeremiah in 29:13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. But see, the truth of the matter is that many don't want to find God because if they do, that means they'll have to change their life. And what it means is that our beliefs actually shape our behavior. And it's a lot easier to remain greedy. It's a lot easier to live for yourself. It's a lot easier to continue the affair that you're in, or it's a lot easier for you to excuse your actions. But we need to be reminded that all of us someday are going to stand before God, and we're going to have to give an account for all that we're doing. And on that day, if a person says, you know, I'm not sure I believe, but then they never investigated what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They never looked at God's word. They never went to church or to hear what's being taught there. And their doubt is actually self-imposed. To me, those that have dishonest doubt, they didn't discover the truth because they weren't truly in search of the truth. And as I said, there's also what we call honest doubt. And those are people who are asking the questions because they want to learn what is the truth. So honest doubt can actually be a sign of integrity. This idea is simply that God loves honest seekers and that there are many times when many of us, most of us, in fact, when all of us will struggle with doubt at times. Now back to our movie. In Ordinary Angels, there's a moment where Ed continues to try and take baby steps. And even though he's in a season of doubt, he tried to remain open to the hand of God and the will of God, hoping that he was going to experience something, some kind of breakthrough. And what's going on is there's this woman who has found her purpose by serving Ed's family. She's working hard behind the scenes, and at the same time, she ends up accomplishing something that's pretty, pretty extraordinary. So I want you to watch this clip that I think is probably one of the most powerful scenes in the movie. And you're asking us to reduce the family's medical bills due to hardship. No, I'm asking you to erase them, all of them. <laughs> Was that funny? Let me show you something. Ed's daughter made this for school, a family tree, a simple drawing made by a child. How one life leads to another, or in this case, how one death leads to another. Miss Stevens, please. Teresa Schmidt came to this hospital for help. Now, the good doctors did their best to save her, but they couldn't, and she died, leaving behind a heartbroken husband and a very ill little girl, Michelle. Her treatment costs thousands of dollars a month her family can't afford. Know why? Because after you sent her mama to the morgue, you sent them a bill so high their family couldn't pay it off in a hundred years. You realize the message you're sending this girl, right? You're saying we charged your mama so much to die that you got to die too. We can't just eliminate hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical bills. Now, I'm sorry. I truly am. Virginia, what if it was your daughter? Forgive me, but I did a little homework, and I know you got a beautiful 11-year-old girl. What if it was her I was here trying to save? You'd want to find a way, right? For her to have a future. To build branches of her own. Please. There's got to be something we can do here.
open it. Patch, you might want to frame this. It's the latest hospital bill. $400,000 wiped clean. Everything from Teresa's hospital stay to all the out-of-pocket expenses, all of it gone. But... How? I told you I wasn't good at taking no for an answer. Well, look, we still have a, a lot of... Uh, medications and, and the, the credit cards pay off, but this means that... keep the house. You get to keep the house. And I don't want to overreact here, but I think this moment warrants a high five. We've shared before, there's a verse in scripture that tells us that we should not grow weary in doing what is right, for after a while we will reap a harvest, a blessing if we don't get discouraged and if we don't give up. So the character here in the movie, Sharon, she doesn't give up. On top of that, Ed doesn't give up either. He has honest doubt, and yet he kept taking things one day at a time until finally this amazing blessing comes at him. What's the takeaway today? If you want to remove the darkness of doubt from your soul, then you have to move to where the light is shining. And what that means is that we need to see that God gives us, each of us, many small things that can help point us to him. Where we finally realize as we look back, maybe take the helicopter view, and sometimes it's the, the airplane view at 30,000 feet. If we add up all the small things that are going on in our world, then we can see a much larger perspective that can give us hope and give us encouragement to be faithful followers. And that the Lord says, if you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. You see, we need to be reminded almost daily that Jesus doesn't always give us all the answers, that Jesus doesn't always change our circumstances, but we know this much, he can change our outlook on life and on our perspective. I wanna say this, especially as we're in this season of Lent, that we may be in a season of doubt. And this much we need to understand that Jesus never met a disease that he couldn't cure, a birth defect he couldn't reverse, a demon he couldn't exercise, but he did meet skeptics that he could not convince and sinners that he could not convert. And so as we think about our repentance in the season of Lent, we need to be reminded that the forgiveness of our sins requires an act of the will on the receiver's part. And so some who heard Jesus' strongest words about grace and forgiveness turned away without repentance. 
But that should not be our response. I, today I hope that you won't turn away. So if what you've heard in today's message can encourage you, Jesus says this, If you seek me with all your heart, you will find me. That journey starts with pursuing him with all your heart. Can I invite you to start that journey today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, someday we will experience the fullest measure of lost being found, of the blind seeing, the lame walking, the dead living. But until that day, Lord, would you take those deep recesses of our heart where those doubts reside and will you replace it with trust? Would you reveal in our doubts all the good work that you're doing at this very moment? And will you also give us confidence as we look into your word and we study your scriptures that we can get the answers to these difficult questions we may have and that we can trust your plan over our own. We pray through your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for being with us this week. Again, so glad you tuned in. Pray that as you lean into the week ahead that you be reminded that you have been blessed to be a blessing. So go forth and serve Christ in his name. Amen. Amen.